Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, read and discuss young adult fiction. Today brought to you by us sitting at the either far ends of my open plan living room kitchen so that our two independent microphones don't pick up one another. Yeah, I got a microphone at Christmas and we have recorded many podcasts since, but we haven't actually like sorted out a good method of doing so yet. If I hold up my thumb at arm's length, and I put it next to Kira's face. My thumbnail is the same size as her face. And that is also how you should tell you should start running from a mushroom cloud from a nuclear explosion. How far do you need to run? Because I feel mm-hmm. like you're not going to run far enough. It's just If you if, see a mushroom cloud, it's already too late. No, because if it's smaller than your thumbnail, mm-hmm. then it's far enough away enough that most of the radiation dies away before it gets to you. Okay, so I just need to keep running till it's smaller than my thumbnail? Yeah. Also, mushroom clouds don't, like, continuously expand. They get to a certain size and then they, like, dissipate like clouds do. I'm so glad that I learned this information. Uh, This week, I read I Am The Messenger or The Messenger by Marcus Zusak. It was originally published under The Messenger, but then Americans got their hands on it and changed it. Just like Philosopher's Stone. And apparently Americans don't know what philosophers are, and therefore it had to be changed to sorcerers for clarity. I mean, I know what philosophers are, and I know that they're not wizards. Yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's a pretty easy copy and paste. A little bit about Marcus Zusak. He is an Australian author, um, and his family comes from Germany and and Austria, which is possibly why that you heard of his name before in relation to The Book Thief, which was a historical fiction novel about a girl living in Germany during the Second World War and hiding a Jewish person in their basement. I have a fun story about that book, which is that it is the only book an adult figure in my life ever expressed doubts about me reading. I was about 12 or 13 maybe and I was on holiday with my mother and my grandmother and my siblings and my grandmother's a big reader. She reads a lot of YA fiction and she actually got me into YA as a genre a little bit younger than perhaps the target age, hence me being 12 and reading this. And I finished it and she had run out of things to read. So she started reading it and then she like approached my mother and was like, is it appropriate for Aoife to be reading a book, spoilers, about World War II and the Holocaust from the point of view of death? Yeah. And I was like, honestly, compared to some of the things I've read, this is chill. So I also, I expressed doubt about 12-year-olds reading that book when I was 16. So I read that book when I was like 16 or 15 or 16, and my English teacher was going reading it with her second year class, who would have been 12, 12, 13. And I was like, oh, I don't think that those kids should read this. And she was like, kids are a lot like more mature than you think. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm the same age as them. I'm not sure they should read this. But I would totally give it to like a 12 year old now, as long as their parent was aware they were reading it mostly because parents complain to me about books that their kids are reading. And I'm like, maybe you should just be more aware of what your kids are reading because I'm going to give them the books. 
Yeah, you know, Kira works as a librarian, in case you've forgotten, listeners. And I do quite like your attitude to giving books that may be challenging to younger readers, which is discuss it with them beforehand, ask them what their plan is. If they have adults, they feel safe discussing upsetting themes with where do they read? When do they read? How do they read? I'm just making sure you're not leaving a child alone with traumatizing material and no one to turn to. But overall... You guys can sell yeah, most I of had that. like I had like an eight year old that was obsessed with the Titanic and her mom was like real worried about it and also she had read everything that was age appropriate, so I gave her like an older book about the Titanic, but I was like, Make sure if you if this gets scary, you don't wanna read it anymore, just stop reading it. But I tell kids to just stop reading all the time, like an unprofessional amount. <laughs> I had a conversation with my housemate earlier this evening because my housemate recently read Stephen King's It, an absolute brick of a book. And I was like, oh, it's like impressive that you got all the way through it. And they were like, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. It was actually quite a good read. And I said, how much leeway would you have given it if it was bad? And they said, oh, I'd have finished it anyway. And that's such an alien concept to me. Like there's there's so many books you could be reading in the world. Yeah, I tell the kids, well, like I tell kids to stop reading, but like in the context of I'm like, I am recommending this book to you. If you don't like it, give it a couple of chapters and then stop and pick up a different book. Not in a just don't read because you didn't like this book. Mm. I'm just really surprised that my grandmother had such a strong aversion to me reading this book because she'd previously recommended to me like Terry Pratchett's Discworld and also... I think The Clan of the Cave Bear, or a series similar to that, which is set in prehistoric times. The first book of that is so good, and then every other book in that series is garbage. There is a lot of sexual assault, I think, to my memory. There is. There's a lot goes on. I'd already read those, and after her <laughs> recommendation. I guess it's very possible my grandmother was born very soon after the Second World War, and mm. therefore that specific era of history would... Also, that book is narrated by death, and it is troubling. Yeah, she she had recommended Discworld to me, in which True. death is a prominent character. Um, anyway. That's not the book we're talking about. Tell me more about Marcus Zusak and this book of his. Um, so this book was written earlier, so it's an earlier novel. And there's a lot of things in this book that, when I, I read this book first, when I was about 17, and I remember reading it. I remember ending of it and I remember nothing else about the book before I reread it. I was like, but I do remember the feeling that I had when I read it and how I was like, this book is so profound. Everyone needs to read this profound book that I just had. And there's a lot of ideas in it that I think that he, the ideas that he put into the book thief, such as the narration style and the language in it. In the, Zuzak has the book narrated by death, mm-hmm. uh, which means that you are spoken to directly quite a lot. And in this book, you are also spoken directly to a lot, but it's, different because of the twist at the end it's kind of strange mm-hmm. there's a it's meta it's a meta book okay. and it's basically just about being nice to each other and how small acts of kindness can have ongoing effect which is quite nice oh i like that a lot yeah i think that you you're gonna like this book okay and yet it remains a ya book is everyone young yeah it's i would put it at the older scale of ya the main character is 19 he's like finished his schooling he's living out on his own and he's 
trying to figure out what he's doing with his life ongoing, having kind of at 19 decided that his life isn't going anywhere and that he's just going to live in this not great part of town forever and not... Our main character is called Ed. Okay. And Ed has like three siblings, one of whom um, got pregnant as a teenager and got out via that. She married into that family and got out. His other sister moved into the city and got out. And his uh, his younger brother is now in college in the city and is like dating a really nice girl and doing well academically and is going to be fine. And Ed has stayed home. His dad died recently. Ed describes his dad as the nicest, most gentlemanly person, but he was a raging alcoholic. So, okay. First of all, got out. Is this a home situation that they want to be escaping from? Or is it a social situation? Like, is their community their, dead in the water? Their community is not doing well. And um, also their family is... Their family life is fine. Like, there's no... His ma um, strongly dislikes him. Okay. But she dislikes him because she thinks that... She says that it it takes a lot of love to hate a person as much as she does. In relation to to her son, he tells she tells him that, and nothing he does is like really good enough for her. But her problem with him is that she's of the opinion that he could have done just as well in school as his younger brother. He could have like used the opportunities that he had better, and that he could have also made something better of himself. And again, he's nineteen, and like got it into the city and be living a better life than he is or at least be like on the trajectory to do so Mm -hmm. and a lot of that is related to her own resentment that his father made her a lot of promises about them having a better life and didn't didn't live up to those expectations what era are we talking about um it's unclear um the book was written in 2002 mm-hmm. so it kind of predates mobile phones and the internet and such like at various points he needs to look things up and he goes to the library in the phone book to find out people's names and addresses mm-hmm. so we're kind of in that era it doesn't really have it doesn't feel like it's set in any particular time but it is pre-mobile phones pre-mobile phones post cars yeah um so our main character ed is as i said he's 19 and he is an underage taxi driver okay uh because you have to be 20 to be a taxi driver he faked he faked an id thing and he told them that he was 20 and his friend um audrey is also a taxi driver and she's legal she's just 20 she's a couple of months older than him and then his other main friends are richie who has a really terrible tattoo and is 20 years old. And his friend Marv, who is a real, real tight person with money and drives this absolute banger of a car. Um, And he has a job in construction. He works for his dad's construction firm. Okay, you can't just leave me hanging in this way. What's the terrible tattoo? Um, The tattoo's not really that relevant. Um, It's just really bad. It's actually... I can't remember who it is, but it's a bad portrait and... Richie's name isn't even Richie it's something else and he is nicknamed Richie after the tattoo which might may or may not look like Richie Lionel I can't remember but it's it's it is a characteristic of him he he is referenced as like 
his dodgy tattoo a couple of times. This guy with his terrible tattoo. Of course, my dear friend Richie arrived carrying his terrible tattoo. Basically, it's like he looked at me and his dodgy tattoo looked at me too. I'm like, what a choice. What a choice to make. Um, Accurate to 20-year-olds. Yeah, and so those are kind of like his only friends and people. Oh, he also has a dog called the Doorman who he inherited from his dad when his dad died because the dog stinks. Mm -hmm. It's really old. He's like 16 years old. He smells to high heaven. Multiple people comment about it. At one point, they're playing cards at Ed's house and they're like, can we sit outside? Because the doorman is inside. (laughs) Um, People keep being like, wash your dog. And he's like, I take good care of my dog. He just smells like that. Um, And he's a Rottweiler Doberman mix. A good dog. Yeah. And he's also 16, so he likes to just sit in doorways and be in people's way. And that may, it's just called the doorman. I love that. Sits by the door. Uh, I take it then that Ed doesn't live with his mom? No, he's living on his own in a place that he just calls the shack. Um, And I think it's just kind of like a rundown Mm -hmm. house on its own. Um, I imagine it as like this farm yard, but I think it's just really small. Mm -hmm. And then, so those are his friends. And they meet up like once or twice a week every week in order to play cards um and they the only card game they ever play is annoyance because it's the only game that they can agree on and they just like meet up all the time to play annoyance and that's their whole thing sounds like a chill social space it is a chill social space but the problem is that none of them are going anywhere they're all in like their early 20s and like nothing is happening them and they all four of them are in a bank at the very start of the book in order to deposit a check that Marv got uh, from work because Marv is real tight and doesn't spend any money and has a massive amount of money in savings and like talks about it He'll, he tells them when he's like tipping up the numbers mm-hmm. um, and for most of the book he's in the 30,000s Wow. But he's like living at home, not paying rent. I think he helps out a bit with the bills at home. But basically like at any point that he can save money, he is saving money. And it is it is like an ongoing thing between him and the other three. Mostly because they're like, your car is the worst car in existence. It never starts on the first go. Like it has multiple things that need repairing in it. And he just like will not fix it. But he also gets so touchy anytime someone like insults his car. So he likes his car and he loves, loves his, his money. Yeah. That sounds like a 20 year old to me. To be fair. So the, the four of them are in a bank and the bank gets robbed. And oh man, they're just so funny because they're like shouting at each other across the bank as they're all being held up by a man with a gun. Mm-hmm. And the man with the gun is like losing his mind because these four people keep sh- keep arguing with each other like not even about the bank thing they're like i wish this robber would hurry up because my car is in a 15 minute spot outside and i'm gonna get a ticket and then the others are like making fun of marvin because they're like yeah and the ticket will be more than the car is worth yeah and all of this stuff and the robber is like i am robbing the place (laughs) at gunpoint have some respect and they're like i'm 20 i have nothing to lose (laughs) yeah fucking i'm gonna banter with my friends okay um so when the gunman is leaving he drops the gun and for no good reason 
Ed picks up the gun, chases down the robber, and foils the robbery, okay. and is then hailed as a local hero. And after this, a card turns up at his house in his post box. Okay. And it is Ace of Diamonds from like a playing deck. Mm-hmm. And on it are three street names and addresses. And the the rest of the book is Ed going through so he he gets he gets the ace of diamonds and he he goes to the addresses that are on us and there is a person at each address that he needs to help out in some way and but he doesn't know he has to figure out the way in which to like help them mm-hmm. and then when he finishes that card he gets another card he gets the ace ace of clubs which is like even more vague than the previous one and then he gets the spades and then finally he gets the ace of hearts and the book is him helping all of the people that the cards direct him to so at the end he helps 12 people okay um and it's very well done i think what kind of things does he help them with so i'm gonna focus on the first card and the last cards Mm -hmm. in this but i'm also gonna pop in and out from the other ones Mm -hmm. so on the first card he gets um an address for a running track which and at like 6 a.m to be there and when he's there he meets this young girl sophie who's about 16 and she is running she's a runner and he just kind of like follows her around a a bit to see what like her steel is and Mm -hmm. how he can help her because he's like she's running she has a nice family life there doesn't seem to be much going on, but he goes to one of her meets and she's wearing these like old secondhand shoes that got passed down through her family. They were her father's or her mother's or something. And when she runs in the mornings, she runs barefoot, but for meets, she wears these um shoes and she comes in second and he's just like, she wasn't running properly. Mm-hmm. Like the way she was running was all wrong. And so he goes to their house He's like, I have a gift for Sophie. Will you give it to her, to her father? Um, and it's just an empty shoebox. And then she starts running all of her races barefoot. And she still comes in second. But, like, there's this pride on her face. And, like, she's running her true self, kind of. And she continues to run barefoot from that point. So it's a strange thing where he's like, I see you. And the thing you need is to not be wearing those shoes. That is strange. I was obviously expecting it to be new shoes. And I was like, where does he get the money for? And no. how is this? But no, he's just saying it's okay to wear. I feel like that must be against regulations or something. When I ran, I used to run barefoot. But we used to run um, on fields and there would have been no grip for shoes. Oh, I didn't know. Like no, I used to train. Seeing. I used to train on a track with runner with proper runners. And then when I ran competitions, they were always on like really gross fields mm-hmm. um and they were always like so sludgy because 20 kids had run 10 races before you um and we used to run those barefoot okay i sound corrected you want to be careful about glass and thistles and so the other name on that card it, the other per- one of the other people on that card that he goes to is um this old woman called melia who is such a sweetheart um but she is like very lonely and has dementia she's like 82 years old she's living on her own 
people do seem to be like like she seems to be doing okay like she has food like she's not like been abandoned or anything but she is on her own and she is just very lonely mm-hmm. and when ed goes to her she thinks that he is her sweetheart jimmy and so and he allows her to believe this like he never corrects her he's just like yeah when i'm with Amelia, i am jimmy and it turns out that uh jimmy was her husband who died in world war ii like 60 years previously so and she never remarried or um had kids she just she stayed true to jimmy mm-hmm. um, and when he's with her they like she kind of is like i have jimmy with me and it's really sweet mm-hmm. um they read together he, he continues visiting her about once a week um and he reads withering heights with her mm-hmm. and he's just like at the start when he first starts reading it he's like it's an okay book and then about halfway through he's like god i hate withering heights it just keeps going but the best part of withering heights is when like melia comes alive during it um i was gonna say that's an interesting point that's an interesting choice because that's such a gothic book with terrible narrators who are extremely extremely in love but awful people and oh I'm getting a little bit of insight into Amelia and who she is and what she's about yeah um it's really nice you know what that is accurate to the kind of person who would be like I will never love again (laughs) my one beloved died in the great war um well, well, they pick Withering Heights because Amelia asks Eddie Jimmy to read to her and he's like, well, what will I read for you? And she goes, my favourite. And he's about to ask what her favourite is and then he's just like, any book I pick will be her favourite and he just picks Withering Heights. So it's not necessarily like super deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's so sweet. He organises he organizes, um, a cookout at the local church um, and he brings Melia there with him and he invites her for Christmas dinner so that she'll have a Christmas, she'll be with someone at Christmas. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, like mostly the thing that I got with Melia is that for a lot of the cards and the people on them, he does something and then he, then he stops interacting with them. Mm-hmm. But with Melia, he was like, this is an ongoing concern and I'm not going to just show up, give her a bit of, company and then disappear like she needs someone to be consistent in her life and I will be consistent in her life and I think that that's a big deal for like a kid to to commit to um and also a big deal for uh, an older person who doesn't get much social support yeah like he is really sweet with her um and I really liked all of their interactions at one point he gets really busy with one of the cards and he doesn't visit her for a few weeks and when he comes back he's like why have I not been here? She, like, I, he's not like everything fell apart without me here, but he's just like, I'm. I have to remember, to, to remember, Melia yeah. because like she needs someone and I'm the person, and it's really nice. That is nice. Um, but there is there is a problem with that card because one of the addresses on it is a family that is experiencing a lot of domestic violence. Okay. From the father. Hmm. Uh, because he's coming home from pub every night and he's drunk and like Ed watches a couple of nights and then he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to... This is the first address that he goes to. Uh-huh. He's like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. So I'm just going to ignore it. 
Um, and then he goes and he helps Sophie and he helps Melia and he's kind of like spending so much time with Melia that the person who's sending the cards is like, yo, you gotta get back to Edgar Street and sort out what's happening there. And he's just like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets given a gun. Interesting. So Vigilante justice. Yeah. So Ed goes back to Edgar Street and when the father comes home, he often sexually assaults and rapes his wife and while this is happening his daughter will come out and sit on the porch and one of the first times ed goes to the house he like sits on the porch with the with the daughter and like talks to her and he and she says are you going to save us and he says i'm going to try and then he can't get the courage to go to go into the house and she's just like this is going and she's just like it's okay um and he leaves and he feels horrific and then he gets the gun um where do you think this is going i think he gives her the gun and she uses the gun he does not oh um instead he uses it he he asks can he keep the taxi that he drives overnight which is against regulations and he picks up the father on his way home from the pub and then he drives him to the edge of town and here he actually speaks like directly to the he speaks directly to the reader and he's like, what would you do? I have a gun. I have a man that is raping his wife, that is beating his family, that is being abusive. Like I have essentially kidnapped him. Like what are my options? What would I, what, what would you do? Tell me, tell me. And then it cuts to like the next day. So you don't figure out what he's done. What he does is he walks the man to like the edge of, of a cliff and he explains exactly why he's there and he gets the man to admit what he's been doing um and he doesn't let him off easy he's just like i hurt my my wife and he's like no what specifically do you do like you need to acknowledge the hurt that you were causing Mm -hmm. um and he basically is like i know where you live i've picked you up once i'll pick you up again don't hurt them and he he has him like turn around so your man can't see him and the gun's like to the back of his head yeah. and then he like shoots it but he shoots it off to the side yeah so and the man like does not return home good he gets like a train and disappears and ed is a little bit concerned about like how is that family making money now but he's also like i'm pretty sure that that man was spending all of their income in the pub so even if they're a little bit worse off they're probably better off overall and they're definitely better off not having a rapist living with them so that's like the hardest one that he has to do i'm gonna guess this is a very isolated rural community yeah or just marginalized right it's marginalized it's a very poor community everyone is struggling to get by or like just getting by um no one's doing really well and then even in that there are like the worser parts of town where people are doing worse again yeah um it's sounding familiar to a lot of areas i'm aware of that mm. exist in our world where due to a huge number of social problems and neglect from traditional governance a dude who was given a little set of cards that was like solve these problems my friend might do some good <laughs> Yeah, no, it's he does. It's a strange situation, but I can see where, I can see how a person might come up with the idea for this book. 
some of the things are big like that and some of them are really small like he um he has a woman who he helps literally just by buying her an ice cream mm-hmm. um because she every thursday she gets paid and every thursday she brings her three kids to the park and they get an ice cream each mm-hmm. and he sees this happen and then he's like one of those weeks he goes along and he buys her an ice cream he's like hey i've seen you in the park a few times you're always buying ice creams for the kids i thought it would be nice if someone bought you an ice cream and he just like sits with her while she eats it and it's just like a really nice thing where she's like oh i have worth outside of parenting my children um and her daughter is like next time you can have a bite of my ice cream and i'm like oh sweet chance good um so like they're like some of the things are dark, like with the that man. But some of them are just most of them are just like seeing someone going through things and just doing something slightly out of your way. The other one I wanted to talk about was he goes to um the family of Lua and Marie, who are um an indigenous couple who are living in the middling area of the town, but they've only just moved in like and he's just like they're just such a lovely family they're just like definitely living like hand to mouth but they're like doing their best and their kids are so sweet they've got like three or four kids they're really sweet and he's like i don't know what to do for them because like they seem to have it all together like they're really loving he gets found out like standing outside their house when he's trying to figure out how to help them um and he like pretends that he lived there before and he gets invited in and they like give him dinner and he does piggyback rides with all the kids and he's just like I'm a complete stranger who lied about living here and they've just welcomed me into their house so hard um and then it's so the book starts in September and it does six months yeah um and we're and we're coming up to Christmas also it's set in Australia so he's like it's so hot it's Christmas time and I'm like oh my god how is this happening? Because I live in the Northern Hemisphere and at Christmas it's cold, but in Australia it's really hot. And I was so confused. We deliberately chose to do Australian books, Kira. You I knew. know, and it hurt my brain. Every time I read a book from Australia, whenever they talk about the seasons, I get so confused. One of my favourite podcasts of all time is Queer as Fact, and it's just a queer history podcast. Um, and the hosts are Australian so they talk about how they did one about the history of pride in Australia as a parade and they actually have Mardi Gras which is in like you know Mardi Gras time like around Carnival coming up soon actually like February March so it's like late summer for them and they're like yeah because we started having it in June but it's just a bad time for a parade because everyone's so So cold cold. (laughs) and I was like what and they're like yeah it's like dark and frosty and I'm like in June yeah it like blew my mind um but they put up uh Christmas lights outside the house and they're just like a really old set of lights and half of them work and half of them don't and Ed is like I'm gonna get them new lights and the level of appreciation that they have for these $15 lights that he buys them it's just because they're just like yes you bought us fairy lights and it was like really small gesture but they're also like we've been living in this house for like a year 
you are the first person to properly welcome us into this community it's really thoughtful of you to want to light up the house they like invite him over to see them turning on the lights the first time and the youngest kid who's like four is like real insistent that he be the one that do it and they're like thank you for seeing us and mm-hmm. for welcoming us into the community. And I thought that it was really important, especially because they are the only people in the book that are specified to not be white. Mm-hmm. So it was like something for him, for them to be like, we've been this living here and we haven't had any problems. Yeah. We're, we're not having like issues, but at the same time, we haven't been welcomed in and you were welcoming us in. And not to be like, oh, they're, they're thanking the white man for that. But the fact that the, it's acknowledged within the book made it something. Yeah. Um, And it was really nice. I'm interested now in whoever's sending these notes. Like, are they, do they have specific ideas in mind for the thing that Ed has to do for each of these families? Because sometimes it's obvious, but like how, like I know there's probably a reveal and there's a twist, but I'm like, is did this messenger think that this kid needed to be told she doesn't have to wear shoes or did she or did the messenger think this kid will buy her shoes or did they did they know that this woman needs an ice cream cone or was there like something entirely different in her life and they're like huh he didn't notice that there was a a light got on her car that I was hoping he'd replace you know like um no it's it's unclear what they're what their intention go- intentioned gold was. It's kind of made out that when they delivered the gun, they were intending for him to kill the that man. Yeah. But that they were happy with the results. Yeah. And I mean, part of it is the aim ultimately seems to be make the community stronger, have community policing, stand up to people who are doing bad in the community acknowledge people who are trying their best welcome people in yeah etc it's it's supposed to just have like a small a small effect on someone's life that improves it marginally yeah just do something good like murder an abuser yeah i guess exactly (laughs) like what else are you supposed to do with your day um so yeah no those they, they were like kind of my favorite ones um one of his cards is his mom and he basically, that's where he gets into a fight with her, where she makes it clear that her issue is not necessarily with him, but with he rem- Ed reminds her a lot of his father. And so a lot of the issues that she has with him are more related to, to her issues with her deceased husband than directly with Ed. That's not fair. It's not fair. And Ed does call her out on it. Um, and he's also like, it's not the place that it, that's the problem it's the people mm-hmm. um in much the same way as like the saying wherever you go there you are mm-hmm. um he's like if i left and went to the city i'd still be a miserable 19 year old with no motivation or direction in life i'd just be in the city and his his thing about it is he's like i'm going to i'm i might leave I might leave where I am. I might not always stay in this small town, but before I do that, I'm going to be a better version of myself. And it takes like 300 pages for him to decide to do that. And at least three cards. Mm. Um, 
it's hard to decide to be proactive. Yeah. It is. It's hard to take ownership of your communities. We live in worlds where there's very strict lanes of allowed action and outside of stuff that's literally your job that you're paid to do, people are sort of discouraged yeah. from engaging. Um, his friend Richie with the terrible tattoo, the final card is the, the Ace of Hearts and on it are his three friends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there's Richie, Merv and Audrey and Richie's is literally just like Richie is depressed because he is 20 years old doing absolutely nothing with his life and he has that fucking tattoo he has that dumb tattoo he's on social welfare he goes down to the bar in the morning and then he goes across to the bedding shop and then he goes home and he plays cards with the guys and that's all he does and he's just like he's just he's stuck it's not so much there's nothing for him to do so as much as he has gotten into this pattern and people keep telling him how lazy he is and how he's a good for nothing and there's nothing like that he can do and so he's just like okay i'll live to those expectations he's in a rut and he's in a rut and ed's thing for him is he literally just calls him out on it he's just like is this what you're gonna do for the rest of your life but like not like, because his mom has been doing that. His mm-hmm. mom's been like, are you just going to sit around the house all day for the rest of your life? But it's not, but he's... It's with a loving It's way. with a loving intention where he's like, I'm here. I'm seeing you. Why are you getting up at 2 a.m.? Because I've been stalking outside your house. Like, why are you getting up at 2 a.m. just to sit at your table for an hour and then go back to bed? Like, what, what is eating you up? And can we do something about it? And, like, shortly after that, Richie starts looking for a job and to see if, like, there is something that he can... He's like, I'm okay, maybe I can make some changes that would improve my life. And Ed is like, and I'll be around to help you. It's really hard for me not to project a lot of, like, places that I know and communities that I've been a part of onto this book. But this is a lot of good, interesting work. And I'm going to just once again reiterate that Marcus Zusak must must have taken this from communities he knows because it sounds so realistic to communities I know. And knowing where you're from, communities that you know as well. Yeah. Like, these are problems. These are problems. Um, and then, and they're problems that are systematic and that don't have like individual solutions. But you can still, they are problems that are eased by friendship by having and community. someone reach out yeah. and just be like i'm in this with you mm. when he goes to marv he has like a hard time figuring out what it is that marv needs and then he ultimately is like hey marv can i have some money oh um and marv is like he actually he actually doesn't say no what he does is he's like well what do you need money for ed and ed like explodes that Marv is such a tight ass and that he won't help anyone else and that he's got all this money and he won't spend it on anything and like why does he have it if he can't like and Marv admits that he actually he can't spend this partly because it goes into a savings deposit account and can't be taken out for a certain length of time but also the reason that he is saving so much money is because when he was 16 He was dating a girl and she got pregnant and her family moved in the middle of the night while she was still pregnant. 
because of the shame of it all. Mm -hmm. And that was about four years ago now. Um, And Marv has, Marv knows where she's gone because a friend who knew her new address passed it on to him. But he's been too scared to go. And it's only like two towns over. It's Mm -hmm. an hour's drive. Very, very close by for Australia. When he bought the car first, it was in order to like, and go find her. Kind of chickened out. And he was like, well, what if her dad is right? And I am a deadbeat, nobody. And she'd be better off without me. So he's never seen the kid. He doesn't know if it's a boy or a girl. He doesn't know anything about it. But he's saving all of this money so that he, when he shows up, he has something to give. And when he started saving first, he was like, when I get to 5,000, I'll go. When I get to 10,000, I'll go. And it's just like piled and piled up because he's just scared. Scared. He's really scared. So Ed is like, when you decide that you want to go, I'll go with you. Like no time scale, no pressure. Just when you're going, I'll come. Mm-hmm. And they end up going like two weeks later. And Ed drives because the car is terrible. Marv's car is a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want it to start the first time, you know? Yeah. In case something yeah. goes bad with the dad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Fair. Yeah. That's valid. And when they arrive, the dad does explode and blow up and they leave. But uh, Suzanne, the, the girlfriend who was pregnant, calls up Ed about a week later to see if he will pick her up. Um so that she can go meet Marv and they meet his daughter at the local park. Um, and it's really nice that he now has this relationship with his daughter. Um, and there's no, there's not a big like thing between Suzanne and Marv. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't follow. And she's like, I'm sorry, I didn't come back. Like, I didn't contact you either. She was like, I thought that the best thing to do would be to do what my dad said. And Ed, Ed is talking to her because he, she talks to him on the car ride back. Yeah. Um, and she's like, I've never seen anyone stand up to my dad like that before. Because Marv takes a beating off the dad when he shows up. But Ed is like, listen, you got a beautiful granddaughter. Like, yeah, the two of, these, the two of them messed up when they were 16 by becoming pregnant. But did you improve the situation by moving her two towns over to like... like they didn't there is a thing in the book where ed talks about people moving um mostly in relation to suzanne and her family moving because it's referenced quite a few times the geographical cure that marv used pardon oh sorry i'm I'm just talking about the geographical cure it's a thing john green talks about sometimes the idea that like I'm really, really sad, so I'm going to go somewhere else and that will fix it. And it never does. But everyone is like, surely changing the circumstances will make my sadness go away. Yeah, that's that is it. Like he's because Suzanne gets mentioned a few times in reference to Marv. Like Marv used used, used to go with a girl from this part of the town um, and then she just up and left one day. Mm -hmm. And nobody really noticed or cared because people come and go from this part of the town all the time. Eve, it like. Sometimes their situation improves and they go to a nicer part of the town. Sometimes their situation gets worse and they go to a worse part of the town. And sometimes their situation doesn't change at all, but they just move from from one place to another. From the medium nice part of this town to a medium nice part of another town. Essentially, yeah. they just change their location. And he, he kind of makes that point 
to the dad and he's just like yeah mistakes were made but would you undo them Mm -hmm. like you have a beautiful granddaughter would you would you would you have it another way and Suzanne is like so impressed by someone taking a beating from her father and another person talking to him in such a way that she's like I can take a step and I can I can meet Marv introduce him to his daughter you know thirty thousand dollars could be very helpful for her setting up perhaps a life away from her father who seems at worst no at best domineering at worst evil (laughs) (laughs) yeah like he's trying like ed acknowledges that he was trying to do the best by his family but that doesn't mean that he did the best yeah and um not saying he's necessarily an abuser but abusers can love their families very much and want the best for them but still not accomplish that goal yes and still be violent and cruel and controlling because they yeah Yeah. because those two things can coexist yeah so the final card the final name that he has is audrey's Mm -hmm. and ed is in love with audrey ed has been in love with audrey since they were kids and he continues to be in love with her throughout the book if I had a problem with this book it would be that I don't think that Audrey is fleshed out as much as the male characters and also there is just a lot of descriptions of her legs that I could do without <laughs> as, even as a bisexual and I'm like this is too many descriptions of legs can we not <laughs> does she have like seven of them why do we need to talk about it so she just much? has very attractive legs and Ed notices them a lot. He really wants to be in a relationship with Audrey. And Audrey comes from a nondescript bad home mm-hmm. where, like, it's not gone into details, but basically she had a rough time of it coming up. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to love anyone because anyone she's ever loved has hurt her. Fair. So she dates around and she has sex with people um and she dates around but she doesn't love anyone and she tells ed that she does love him and that is why they can't be together they could just be friends and so like throughout the book she is dating this other guy steven who's also a cab driver um and multiple times ed like shows up at her house and is like and steven's there and i think they've just had sex so i'm gonna leave was her legs out or something? <laughs> she smelled of it. Most. And it's it's a strange thing where... I guess it's summer it, in Australia. It's summer. It's always summer somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's this strange thing where I don't think I've ever seen a female character be given so much license to choose her own partners and to have all the sex that she wants and not be shamed for it Mm -hmm. and I really liked that because even Ed is like I would like if she was having sex with me but she doesn't want to have sex with me she wants to have sex with Steven and that's cool and I'm like cool of you Ed cool of you yeah this is just still it's all of my comments on this are like wow representation because this is just this is just young people in the area I grew up in. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's people might hold deeply held misogynistic views about women's sexuality, but when you get down to it, that's your mate. And she's hooking up with this guy and maybe 
you would prefer if she was hooking up with a different guy or but you know what it, and that's still her and she's a is. person and yeah. fuck you're very like enmeshed in each other's lives so you can't go around having a big strop about it because people will be like cop on and Audrey is the only person that he like when the first card comes he goes to all his friends and he goes to his mom and he's like did you send me this card what's the deal with this card yeah and everyone's like I have no, no idea what you're talking about shut up and he tells the the, the two boys that he threw it out and he's doing nothing yeah. with it um, and they're like cool and they don't think of it ever again but Audrey knows that he didn't throw it out and she does like kind of keep track of what he's doing with the cards and he tells her about it and everything um, and at various times he's like he doesn't lie to her ever but he like he's like I sorted out the thing at Edgar Street this is what was happening and I sorted it um, And but like months later he's like okay this is what I did. He's just like, at the time, he's like, it's sorted. It's fine. Yeah. And then he like goes into details later and he's just like, something that I really appreciate about Audrey is that like, she knows that when I'm ready to talk to her, I'll talk to her. But nobody in this whole book pushes him about anything. So I'm like, it's cool. Every time you're like, I don't want to talk about this. Everyone's like, okay. Does Stephen come to their regular card nights? No, but he does drop in to Christmas Eve dinner, which which Ed hosts. Yeah. Um, and which Audrey brings desserts and some alcohol. Richie, and her legs. And her legs. Richie brings like prawns or something, and in typical fashion, Marv brings nothing because he's a tight wash. <laughs> Who would never spend money, and it's also supposed to be like his turn to host, oh. and he like got out of it by saying that he would kiss the doorman when he arrived as a forfeit and Ed would host instead. So he has to do that and it's hilarious. Very good. It's it's very, very good friends joshing each other. Yeah. Crack. But the thing that Ed gives Audrey three minutes of love um, and it's done by, he shows up at her house at like dawn and he plays like her favorite song and they just dance for three minutes and they don't say anything and then he leaves again um and he's like i'm not asking her for anything and i'm not expecting anything but what she needs is someone to just love her and like let her feel love and that's what he does and she does um turn up at the end and is like hey ed what if we did try something which i was like mixed feelings about but it made narrative sense yeah i was gonna say it's just a fitting conclusion to a love st- to a love subplot yeah. is that the love is given a chance um but what i liked most about it is that he, <sighs> yes at one point he does kiss her and she's like earlier in the book he does kiss her once and she's like hey i'd actually prefer if we were friends and he's like okay cool let's be friends and then he does this like semi-romantic gesture that she knows is card based mm-hmm. so she knows that it's not is he given instructions for what to do or no, what she just, needs or just her just name? their names and then he's like i know her and this is what i think that she needs mm-hmm. um and she does have like the free will to like he's it, it doesn't feel like he's pressuring her and he's like if you don't return my affection i will not let you play the card game or i will not be your friend or anything they've already had that awkward kiss where she was like "Eh," and they've already like gone back to friendship i have to say if 
even if like I was deeply in love with someone for years and years, if they turned up at my house at dawn <laughs> and demanded anything of me, I would close the door in their face. I'd be like, if you want to show me love at dawn, like you can sleep beside me and then eventually you can make some tea or coffee. That's she, it. She's already up because Stephen has just left to go to work. Ah, and they were having sex. And they were having sex. She smells of sex. It is mentioned. I, I like if I read this book again, I'm gonna do a tally of the number of times someone is described as smelling of sex, and it will always be Audrey. I don't love it. Same. No, I'm trying. I don't know if I've ever smelled sex off a person except for a person that I've just been having sex with. Yeah, I, it's a. I don't know that I feel like there must be individual variation just going from how body odor works and I feel like you'd have to like actively identify it one time but then maybe it's a thing you only notice if you focus on it or know that that person has probably just had sex and they're thinking about it yeah 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 um I'm gonna talk about the conclusion a bit okay because I think that it feeds into why this book at 17 made me feel really profound Mm -hmm. and I think it also feeds into this book was written before the book thief and I it's one of the things that I'm like I can see what Zuzak was going for and it doesn't quite hit the mark Mm -hmm. but he gets it in the book thief and that's the fact can I can I can I say my theory first yes it's the dead dad it's not the dead dad. Ed does think that it's the dead dad. And he like goes to the grave of his dead dad and is like, did you set all this up for me in your dying days? Um, and when he returns to the house, he discovers that there is someone unnamed and that person has manuscript in front of them and is like, I am so sorry that I made you do all these things. And Ed is just like, what now? And it is because... It's he the the person that comes to Ed Ed's house is unnamed, but is highly implied to be Marcus Zuzak himself, and straight up admits to basically being like, I wrote all this stuff down, and therefore I made you do all these things. I made you buy that ice cream. I made you. I made that man rape his wife. I'm like I made all of these things happen so that you, and then I made you do all of the things in order to show that the most average person, which is you, is capable of being a better version of themselves. And now you are free to write the rest of your own story. Interesting. Yeah. Very daring for a YA book. They don't usually go there. Yeah, it's very meta. You know what? Mm -hmm. I think I've heard of this book. I didn't realize until you just told me the twist there, but... Um, I think when I, probably back when I read uh, The Book Thief or sometime afterwards, I think I was looking up the other books that Zuzak wrote. And this is sounding familiar that he wrote himself in. But that's not un- that's not unheard of. Stephen King's done it. Darren Chan's done it. But he does it with an apology in his mouth. Yeah. Um, and like when this happens, Ed like gets real depressed for a little while. And he's like, I don't. And he's trying to like figure out like the implications of all of this and what it means for his life. He just stays inside for like two weeks. And but then did he do that on purpose or did the writer do it? Um, well, at this point, Audrey comes over and is like, hey, I'd like to give this a shot. 
and he's just like is that going to be in the pages like did someone write that for us and she says i think it's our own thing i think we're making our own decisions and they don't explicitly go back and check the book oh there a book is left yeah um uh marcus zuzak the the narrator's device leaves back leaves ed with the manuscript of the book of ed's last six months that he wrote in interesting um and another interesting thing is that the book starts with the gunman is useless i know it he knows it the whole bank knows it um and then when he gets the manuscript and stuff he's like this can't be true none of this is true i'm sure like it makes me think that maybe I should write about all this myself. After all, I'm the one who did all the work. I'd start with the robbery. Something like, the gunman is useless. Which is exactly how the book does start. So it's not that Ed was handed the book as we're reading it. It's that he was handed a different narration and he decided to rewrite it from his point of view. I, I actually hadn't considered that. Yeah. What I thought was that, what I thought that that it meant was that Ed had been been created to such a degree that the thought, how he thinks he would start the book, is how the book starts, not that he had rewritten the book. Okay. But the, I actually like so those that are two better. different takes. Two different... I like your take better because the book does continue on after the book is handed. The to book him. is given to him. Yeah. And it is handed off with. So Ed, Ed is like, and he's just like, the cards are finished. You're handing me this completed work of apparently like my last six months. And you've been controlling me this whole time. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And he looks at me closely and says, keep living, Ed. It's only the pages that stop here. I'm just like, oh, go write your own story. Which makes me really like your take that this book is Ed's version of events and not Zuzak. Which I actually really like. Um, So yeah, no, that's the that's that's the messenger, and that's the book that I just read. Okay, interesting. Do we hear much from his siblings at all? He meets them for Christmas dinner. Uh, He doesn't have much interaction with his sisters, but he does have a conversation with his brother, who comes home. His mom values his brother's opinion over Ed's in all matters, like. She buys a coffee table at one point and Ed delivers it to her. And then the next time he comes to visit, she has a different coffee table because the brother was like, oh, having not seen either either coffee table gave his opinion on like what kind of coffee table a person should have. And his mom went and bought that kind of coffee table. Oh, that's sad for her. It's, it is. She's like, he's so good. at He has an eye for these things. He lives in the city. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they have a conversation and Ed is like, I'm honestly so happy that you're doing well for yourself. I'm doing fine. And his brother is like, we we should like meet up and talk more. And Ed's just like, we're not going to do that. And his brother's like, yeah, no, we're not. And it's fine. They're just, they're that's straight with each at, other. Yeah. That that's how it's going to be. I have so many, I have things to say about this book, but most of it's been driven out of my head by the Zuzak twist (laughs) which sounds like a great dance move the Zuzak twist but that actually reminded me one of my friends recently finished her first novel it's not ready for publishing she literally finished the first draft but the whole concept of it is that 
the two protagonists are the written protagonist and the author Mm. and they like it's got a similar question of narrative control versus autonomy and I'm just continuously like oh my god he did that in a YA book yeah we discuss YA it's not a simple genre but I feel like it is simplified a lot. Yeah, you get less so high literary blah 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 yeah. blah blah in it. Um I'm like it came out in two thousand and two. There wasn't a lot of under the title of young adult fiction back then, mm-hmm. back in the day. So I'm not sure if it would be published under that now. But the main character is nineteen. It falls under that for me. It's certainly coming of age. Like there's like there isn't technically any sex in it. There's a lot of discussion of sex. It is coming of age. Yeah, no. Mm. Also, our narrator in Ed straight up is just like, I'm really bad at sex. Uh, From the start, he's like, I haven't had enough sex to get good at it. And to be honest, I think maybe I'm not going to (laughs) try. Like, I'm not going to practice, essentially. He's like, I've been with like two girls. Not work. It hasn't worked out. (laughs) And I'm like, I love you so much for being a 19 year old boy who was like, Sex is cool and all, but I am not getting it, and it's it. I'm not that great at it, and so I'm just gonna like let it be for a while. And I'm like, thank you so much. Thank you for <laughs> from society for for the choices you have made. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty cool. Interesting, cool. Um, How was it rereading the book? Aware of the twist? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, even like it was the only thing I remembered about the book, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it didn't like it didn't dampen the reading experience mm-hmm. at all. I want to do highlights and lowlights. Yeah, no, I was um, just kind of I was asking this as the first question to get out of the way. Oh no, do you have other questions? No, that's it. No. Um, so it it didn't really impact. It was something nice to know because I wasn't like looking through all of his friends to like figure out which one of those was sending him the cards. And yeah. obviously, if it was one of his friends, it was going to be Audrey because she appears to be the only person who is like thinking of others outside of herself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it didn't really. I was like, I was totally happy if this book ended and was like, the universe had sent him these things for no goddamn reason. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I was kind of expecting dead dad or nosy neighbor. Yeah. But yeah. Ed suspects that it was something to do with like his name being in the paper. At the stars. Oh, it's like you're a good Samaritan and you will continue to do good. Yeah. yeah. But even that event was written for him, so mm-hmm. What um, are the highlights, lowlights, and weird little sidelights of this um, story? I think I've done most of them already. Low light was... My low light was the overly sexual descriptions of Audrey, which I could have just done with about three less of. Mm-hmm. Um and also, I thought thought that her character could be a little bit more explored, a little bit more, more than just but, being the girlfriend, the friend who is a girl. Like she, she isn't just the girl, the friend that is a girl. She is more than that. But like Marv's motivations are explored a bit, and Richie's motivations are explored a bit, and hers don't really seem to. It's just like she was hurt, and therefore she she doesn't want to be hurt again. And I'm like, yeah, but okay, mm-hmm. are we gonna like? The fact that you showed up and did like a three minute song dance with her doesn't doesn't mean that she's not going to get hurt. Are we going to like 
she has stuff going on yeah that we could like work through and that is also but, immediately relevant to the role you're looking to play in her life yeah but also she of like the three of his friends she does probably show up the most mm-hmm. so i'm not entirely i just feel like she could have been written a bit in, in a bit more depth she sounds like she's a bit of a supporting character my highlight is possibly um at one point he's playing a football game he's playing the christmas football game which is really important to marv and he asks this kid to watch his dog and at the end of the match he comes back to get the dog from the kid and the kid is like this is my dog (laughs) and also the kid has found one of the aces that he hasn't had yet Mm -hmm. uh, because someone gave it to him ed is like well that's my dog and also that card was meant for me can I have them both back? And the kid is like, no, this is my dog now. And he has to buy them back for 20 pounds because the kid negotiates up from 10. And I'm like, you're my favorite child. Smart kid. I was expecting the kid to be like, you can have the dog or the card. <laughs> no, he has to, he's like real annoyed that he ends up having to buy his, car, his dog back. 20 euro for um, dog sitting. And there was also, my sidelines was possibly just the writing style it's hit and miss in places like you read it and you're like this is an early work particularly if you've read his later works i don't think you can in good conscience say anything for your sidelight other than the twist given it's the only thing that stuck with you over about 10 years no because i also knew that it was like a book that profoundly affected me okay i just couldn't like and i knew that the playing cards were something like i knew the basics Mm -hmm. and i possibly could have recommended it based on that but the thing that like really hit me but the writing style really is really good and there's some great turns of phrases um at one point he visits a priest and the priest says has like they're having coffee and stuff and he's like explaining the situation where he's like trying to help people but like not going in depth and the priest says have faith ed i searched the coffee mug but there's none in it and i'm just like yes what a great phrase. What a just I was gonna have faith, but then I decided on a cappuccino. So. He's just like he's like, have faith. So I looked for it and I couldn't find it in my coffee mug. And I'm like, oh that's just so good. <gasps> um and there's like loads of like quotable lines like that. He ca- he he um one of the cards has the name of authors on it, and he goes to the library to find their books and he carries all like ten books home with him. And he's just like, who knew words could be so heavy? And I think I actually used that quote for um, for the Instagram. Mm-hmm. But he's like, I'm carrying 10 books up a hill. And that's a heavy thing to do. Yeah. And I just really like the image of that. Like, who knew words could be so heavy? Um, that's good. And I love your beautiful resonant image. But what it is reminding me of more than anything is an Irish shanacle. So I am... Um, God, what's English for shanacle? Um like a saying it's a saying proverb there's yeah, an proverb. irish proverb which proverb. uh proverb which which translates as a chicken carried for a long time grows heavy yeah <laughs> which is just any burden is a lot if you have to carry um, it for a while but just yeah i've i've heard it done with like mental health and stress where like you can carry stress for only so long and it's like if you pick up a glass of water that's can, fine that's fine but if you hold that glass of water for two hours, that's not fine. 
Yeah. And I'm like, and also you now don't have use of that hand. It's yeah, a whole and you thing. can't use that hand to hold other things. It's multipliers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, my I really there is some really good turns of phrases in this, and like some of them don't hit as well as others, but some of them are like really good as well. And uh, that was my experience with the messenger. I am the messenger. <laughs> by uh, Marcus Uzak. I know we already covered author talk, but just before we finish up, mm-hmm. did Zuzak grow up in rural Australia or in a marginalized area or neglected community? Um all I think he he was born in Sydney. Okay. So I don't I don't know like you can be born in I know Sydney isn't the capital. You can also, but if you're like, from a middle of nowhere town, it's often you are born in the nearby city. But yeah, yeah. that is true. Um, and like, I don't know, I don't know what his, I don't know what his upbringing was. I think that it was fairly okay. Okay. Um, he just seems very aware in a very realistic way of social problems in a way that, generally speaking, also it being his first book would speak to having some experience. It's not his first book. No. Um. It is his fourth. Oh, okay. He had a series before it about the Rubin brothers, oh. and that's about um two brothers who are growing up in not ideal circumstances, um, and their family is struggling a lot, and them just getting getting by. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them gets by by they join like a boxing club, and one of them is actually like really good at it. And they're like that's the second one anyway, and he's fighting and getting money off that but it's like has negative effects on his life like like a plot (laughs) like a plot does amazing this is his fourth book and then the book thief came immediately came three years later and then his newest book came out in 2018 and that's bridge of clay i think i heard of that one you probably did it's very thick okay Um, it's about a um a young man and his relationship with his father i think classic um it's more of an adult book than a a ya yeah so wrapping up our discussion on messenger slash i am the messenger by marcus zuzak i can think of at least one fun thing we need to announce we got to a thousand downloads we're doing um Applause, but for people who can't hear it because clapping is bad for the audio quality. <laughs> um, um, and we promised cake, but unfortunately, cake. due to uh, life events in the interim, we have not been able to make that cake, but there will be a cake. Yeah, there has been some life things happening. And there I, nearly wasn't an episode. <laughs> there nearly wasn't an episode. This is true. Um, things happen suddenly. So uh, take a lesson from Mr. Zuzak and do what good you can while we ro- walk the earth. But anyway, there will be cake. It will most likely be on our Insta before the next episode is uploaded after this. I'm not sure what it will be. It will be whatever cake I feel like making. And it will have cream in it. Even Let with- me tell you. Even without eating a cake right now, I'm really excited and happy that we hit a thousand downloads. And I, for one, really want to say thank you to you, the person who downloaded and listened to this podcast. We have great fun making it. It's a project I'm really proud of. And it's a way for me to spend time with Kira. And it's also just, it's great to see other people engaging with it and caring about what we do here. 
Yeah, and uh, this episode will be our one-year anniversary of uploading episodes, which every time we hit a one-year mark, I get real over-emotional about it. Twitter recently was like, you've had a Twitter account for one year, and I was like, oh my god, remember when we sat in Aoife's kitchen and we set up all the social media accounts? <laughs> um, I got really uh, emotional about that, so thank you so much for listening and following us, and if you want to help support us, we have a Patreon account, and you can follow us on all our social medias. We are at Forever YA Pod on Twitter, and on and on Patreon and Goodreads. We are Patreon.com forward slash Forever YA Pod and Goodreads.com forward slash Forever YA Pod. For Instagram, we are Instagram.com forward slash Forever YA Podcast because we were not able to get that unified handle if you want to send us an email you can get us at foreveryapod at gmail.com and of course if you don't have social media don't worry about it our best way of reaching more listeners is actually word of mouth so if you know someone who you think is interested in YA fiction or would just like to listen to an episode for whatever personal reasons let them know we're here we will continue to be making these as long as it's logistically possible for us to do so (laughs) thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in two weeks when Aoife will be reading Shatterheart by another Australian author whose name currently escapes me but it will be in the title of the next episode (laughs) keep an eye on social media Bye. bye bye